0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mike Velarde Show. I'm excited to welcome to the program. Mike Velarde. Mike, what's going on, man? Uh, now, are we going to start getting guests now? Because uh, yeah. to, to we're done with the whole political thing.
1: Yes, yes, we are. Now it, Now it's time to bring in the people. And the, and the first guest is going to be Kamal Saleem, my good friend, who has a tremendous story to tell today.
2: It's an honor being with you. Thank you.
0: I start, I start asking questions, Mike? Yeah. Okay, thanks, Mike. Mike always throws me. Okay, so tell me about what what makes the the, the story so amazing, your story. Like, first of all, what makes you want to go on shows and do different things? Again, we understand Mike understands that story more than I. So I'm here learning this process he mentioned a little bit, but kind of how that story started.
2: Well, uh, I'm the president of Kuhn Ministries. Uh, Kuhn Ministries is uh, what uh, we launched specifically uh, to really meet, uh, you know, to be out in the public, you know, uh, for several reasons. Number one is to really expose uh, the present darkness that, uh, you know, and the agenda of the Islamists, you know, in America, and also uh, to reach out to the Muslims, you know, and uh, uh, those that they are really want, you know, looking for, uh, you know, something different, like, you know, for Christianity, for example. And, uh So this is where it's all started. You know, originally, I really didn't want to do it, but I did it for the love of my nation, United States of America. And so therefore, my story started in Beirut, Lebanon. Uh, At a young age, I was recruited in a mosque, you know, by the Muslim Brotherhood. And uh, I was, uh, you know, later on, uh, the whole group joined uh, with Yasser Arafat, you know, and uh, at the PLO camp in Beirut, in Sabra. And from there, It accelerated, you know, uh, to take me through a lifetime, you know, into jihad. Then I came to the United States of America specifically to do jihad in America. And uh, in process, I I got in a car wreck and met uh, several Christian families that they really started taking me in and helping me uh, until I saw the, the really true life. And I came to find out that we are the enemy and what we came to do to this nation and who these people are. So therefore that changed everything, all perspective. And now, uh, you know, uh, just about, uh, 16 years ago, we launched uh, two ministries that we've been fighting on every front, you know, against this, uh, radical Islamism that's coming against the United States of America, like from within like a termite.
0: How did you get recruited? First of all?
2: Oh, I was a young boy. I was, uh, I was 7 years old, uh, you know, and uh, I was working. Uh, I come from a big family. And so uh, as I'm working, you know, I was attending the mosque and I was being introduced, you know, and uh, the Muslim Brotherhood came about, you know, around your life. But then one day I was in trouble. Uh, you know, I want to hide in the mosque for protection, you know, because they, you know, I was uh, beaten up by yeah. Muslims, you know, and they want to kill me that day as a little child. And I hid in there and the Muslim Brotherhood came to protect me. And from that point on, my life uh, was saved by the Muslim Brotherhood and I belong to them. And, you know, that's how it all started in a mosque.
0: Like cults, Kamal, cults really start from that point. If you look at it specifically, the Muslim Brotherhood in a certain way of a cult-like atmosphere where they Befriend you, they become family, and then they brainwash from that. What,
2: what the Muslim Brotherhood, what their agenda, their theology, they come round uh, weak people, people that they have no family, no protection, or light-hearted, uh, you know, they believe anything, you know, people who are just basically looking to belong, you know, and that's where it starts. They see that you have an ambition, and that's where they start with you, and that's. That's part of your
0: strategy. So define the, how the Muslim Brotherhood started. The history of that. I'm interested in that as well. And it, we we kind of think after the during the Trump regime, we never heard anything from the Muslim Brotherhood for a while because of the Trump uh, administration. Yes. To be honest with you. So t- so kind of define the Muslim Brotherhood and go into that in deep, well, more detail, like like the sure
2: absolutely. In 1924, the Ottoman Empire uh, vanished because the Allied you know, forces came and defeated, you know, the, the Turk, the Japanese, you know, you name it, the the the, uh, uh, the German, you know, all the Nazi German that is. And so, therefore, uh, what happened is uh, the the, uh, the the Ottoman Empire was accelerating to bring about what's so called Sharia into the the, side, the whole world, you know, to bring about Islamization. And uh, after the, uh, the destruction of the Ottoman Empire, uh, four years later in 1928, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood rose up by uh, the leadership of Hassan al-Banna uh, in Egypt, who was uh, uh, studied in Colorado, in the University of Colorado in Denver. And therefore he came and studied the American and he saw that America could not be destroyed from, uh, you know, from outside, it has to be destroyed from within. So therefore what happened is uh, the, the Islamic you know, Muslim brotherhood kicked off the new level. And now their agenda is to establish Sharia throughout the earth and to bring about Islamization to the whole world, you know, only to bring about the great commission of Islam. Which is Muhammad says the Prophet of Islam says in the hadith, which is the tradition of Islam, he said in umertu and uqatil he's been commanded by Allah to fight and war against all humanity until everyone says there is no God but Allah Muhammad is prophet so therefore uh, that was part of the strategy and in nineteen sixty the first invasion came to the United States of America, you know uh, where the uh, the, the, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood start invading the United States. And, uh, and uh, from, now, you know, from that point on, nobody knew about them until 9-11. This is when the Muslim Brotherhood was discovered. Under President Trump, uh, what happened is uh, President Trump was considering uh, to, to, to call the Muslim Brotherhood terrorist organization and move it out of the United States of America but then that would have started a whole new deal of uh, impeachment and what so have you. And, uh, but uh, we saw that what uh, President, you know, uh, Biden, what he did in, in October of last year, 2020, he declared, you know, he, he said, you know, uh, calling for the Muslim to wage jihad in the United States of America. He said, uh, I wish we have more, uh, you know, Islamic teaching in the United States of America. And then the first thing when he became president uh, when he was seated in the White House, he put an executive order to enable them to step forward and be part of the American military, open their nations to start migrating to the United States of America freely uh, and all the above and and part of his executive order that they could not and, and should not leave the United States of America, even if they were illegal. So that's the difference between the two. Uh, administra- yeah, I mean,
0: especially when you don't hear certain terrorist attacks and all that stuff. Let's go into Sharia law. Define Sharia law for us, especially how we see this in France. We see this in the UK and certain parts of, like I guess I, w- I don't call them like uh, projects, but certain like areas of the of the of that city become Sharia law. Explain that.
2: Oh, what are you talking about? It's called no-go zone areas. Okay. So Sharia, the way it works, you know, when you allow the, the, the Islamists to move into a, a civilization and like, let's take France, let's take Holland, let's take England, you know, all Europe. See, so the Muslims start moving into a specific area and then they start coming from every perspective into that area. And if the nation allow them to practice Sharia, the Sharia law uh so what happened is now they have the power to create no go zone sharia meaning uh, what is sharia sharia is the constitution of the muslim muslims are you know whether they are american french uh kurdish uh lebanese turkish they are you know the the uh, the power over them all it is sharia and so therefore Sharia tell them how to live their life, how to do all things in their life from governmental standard to the family marriage to inheritances to, to their daily bread. So everything is prefaced in Sharia. Sharia is created from three components. The first component is the Quran. The Quran is what Allah uh, what Allah gave to Muhammad which is the the, the the surah. And this is what we saw that our president, uh, current you know uh, Biden, he read from the Quran last year in a Muslim voter uh, summit. So therefore, and, and we see that, you know, and that's the first component. This is what Allah, you know, demanded from people. Because in, in, in the Quran, uh, Allah is speaking to humanity. This is his way of you know, uh, everybody should live under him. The second component is called Sira. Sira is the, is the biography of Muhammad. There's so many things that were silent in Islam and nobody understand them because what Muhammad did, every Muslim is permitted to do what Muhammad did exactly verbatim. So when we see ISIS and they say ISIS are radical people, ISIS were practicing exactly what Muhammad did before. So they did not practice outside Muhammad. They they, they did verbatim what Sharia told them to do. The third component, it's called the Hadith, which is the traditions of Muhammad. What is the traditions of Muhammad? Everything that he was inspired by, and he said, this is what I think should happen, and this is what Allah, you know, would do something about something, you know, so these uh the three components create the constitution or the laws and bylaws of the muslim people from uh from beginning to end muslim wow. uh, muslims could not live outside of sharia uh if they are under islamic governing so therefore sharia conducted them you know like if you steal your hand to be cut off if you lie your tongues had to be cut off if you if you look upon naked woman you know uh your eyes has to be gouged out you know i mean all these are part of the philosophy of sharia
0: so let's go mike any thoughts so far as i'm asking these questions leading them through what well, my concerns are the united states if really this the muslim brotherhood can take their their place here like they did in europe
1: well since president biden decided to let all these muslims in from all these nations that were previously banned I think that Kamal has a very now message for the church and for law enforcement. And I'm looking to bring him down to Florida to, to give that message out both to churches and to law enforcement agencies, because I don't think they're going to stay. They don't, they're not, they're not going to see what's coming.
0: Well, absolutely. They're not going to see what's coming. And I want to go really quickly. You talk about Sharia law now kind of picture what's ha- happening in France and england because of allowing sharia law in certain parts of that country
2: yeah so so when when the uh when the muslims move into an an area and that is uh, uh you know the government gave it to them so i was in france and i want to no go zone areas so they give them an area to live in so they start populating and they live in that area now everything changes in the area and it, it goes from french culture to Islamic culture everything is in Arabic every you know everything is from the Quran uh, written all over the area and they create the Sharia uh, military uh, soldiers which is to kick out of that area the the bars uh, the uh, uh, dancing you know clubs or whatever they start shunning people out little by little the French people start leaving that area because the Muslim demand, you know, uh, everybody to live under Sharia. So everybody starts selling out and running out of the area. And then the area becomes zoned. That's called no-go zone area. So therefore, you cannot enter the area without the permission of the residing, uh, residing imam who declare and decree who can come in and who could not. So, therefore, the government, the French government, will have to ask permission to enter the no go zone area. This has happened, you know, we see it now happening in uh, uh, Milwaukee, you know, we see it happening, you know, in Florida. We start happening, you know, we see it, you know, in Tennessee. We start happening, you know, this, these zoning are taking places. In England, it happened. I want the no go zone area as well. Stabbing takes place daily, you know, when you are not in that area and you enter do business. And if you have no permission, they have the right to stab you. And by, since the government allowed, uh, uh, you know, uh, allowed Sharia into that uh, area, what happened then, the, uh, the, the, you know, they can exercise their rights because they are within Sharia rights, which is permitted by the government.
0: Is there a lot of organized crime in those Sharia areas as well?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the sex trafficking, you know, uh, go through this, drug dealing, go through this. Those areas are, info, you know, I mean, just the, the drug, uh, you know, dealing, it's one of the biggest, you know, because a lot of these guys, they, they do not work and uh, they not, uh, you know, in, you know give into the nation, you know, very much. So they live to really generate something from within to create their own uh, you know, way of living, even if it costs the nation so much.
0: So that was kind of like in that Amazon Prime show that's based on the the best-selling book. I can't think of the name of the guy now. From um, but uh, that that story where they end up having a biological weapon which ended up being something and then i've seen other ones where there's a virus so i'm shocked that they've not done a virus yet uh, to expel in this country that it could be deadly more deadlier than than covid who knows but let's kind of go into you know your your story a little bit more but i think this was a great background to look at so you went through the point so they teach people in the muslim brotherhood to die for Allah then right
2: well you know there, there is there is no guarantee to go to paradise, you know, Islam speak about paradise. It, it, Islam does not talk about, uh, you know, heaven whole lot, you know, and so uh, therefore what happened is the only guarantee, even Muhammad the Prophet Islam, he was doubting whether he would go to heaven or to hell at the end, you know, so on, on his better death. But here's the thing, in, in the teaching of Islam, you know, uh, Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, says, you know, the Quran says this, uh, Allah said that to the Muslims. He said, Those who, are, who died in jihad, they are not dead, but alive and prospering. Muhammad, the, the prophet Islam spoke about it in the Hadith Bukhari. Uh, he spoke about it, uh, and even Muslim verified the hadith. Muslims, because they're different uh, group uh, of hadith. Right. What happened is that you know when a Muslim die, he will inherit paradise, and he was you know the first drop of his blood. He became he becomes uh, you know it allowed him to enter paradise, and and what happened? He now can get seventy two version. Uh, he'll be wedded into heaven. And he will be part, you know, uh, he, he, uh, he is given uh, residency into, into heaven or paradise, that is. And the second drop of his blood, what happened? He become an intercessor for 72 of his immediate family. So 72 of his immediate family can be going to heaven or to paradise without judgment. This is when you die again, that's the virtue of the martyr. The martyrs in, 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 uh, in Islam. They are just like saints. They become, uh, you know, like saints. Their pictures put everywhere. Everybody sing their names because these are the one. They inhabit, you know, paradise, uh, according to the teaching of Islam.
0: So, Mike, that's another concern, right? Muslim Brotherhood being in the United States that some terrorist attacks could happen. Right, Mike?
1: Oh, I, I would be shocked if we don't see one within the next six months.
0: Really, and the perfect timing with our guards down with COVID.
1: Well, yeah, we got to look, look at what happened when Obama came in. He changed the rules of engagement for the law enforcement agencies. We went to having, after 9-11, there was never another terrorist attack while Bush was in office. But as soon as Obama got in office, then that, that Army guy killed 12 or 13 people at the Army base, and it, it just mushroomed from there. So with Biden, you, you could expect the same type of thing.
0: Do you think, Kamal, that's going to happen?
2: Well, uh, I don't want to uh, assume right now. And the reason that is, is because the Muslims knew that if they come to the United States of America, you know, at at this period, nobody is sure whether Biden will stay in presidency or President Trump will come back and redeem his his presidency that he won legally. And so therefore, when we look at all this, uh, if the Muslim, in my opinion, and, and this is not based on anything, if they do anything right now, they may be just, that will be their ticket to, uh, you know, to, to be uh, expelled out of the United States of America, if they're revolted. So it could happen, uh, and then, on the other hand, uh, other hand, I'm I'm not sure, but from Muslim perspective right now, I would think, you know, as I'm thinking as a Muslim, I would not do so right now. But but then, this is, could be the opportunity, the perfect opportunity for them to enter uh, and do something powerful. Uh, here's the thing that we have to worry about uh, more than anything else: we have to worry about jihadis that they are wearing suits not the jihadis that they are carrying guns because the one they are carry, you know wearing suits these can do vast destruction to the nation from within so you say explain them all mm-hmm. these are the people the, part of the swamp part of, you know changing uh, you know the nation you know and so uh, the, some of them are elected you know and NEC the uh, NSC I'm sorry National Security Council, uh, he is a radical Palestinian, uh, uh, Tayyib, you know, he's, uh, Habib Tayyip, you know, he is, uh, you know, he's been, uh, put by the president to lead this. So he's over the NSA, he's over a CIA over the FBI over the Homeland Security. And this guy is a graduate of Georgetown. So when you put somebody like him, this person can, his name is Meher Bitar. And, uh, and so therefore, uh, I put somebody else's name earlier. Meher her So when you when you when you put somebody like him in place, and uh, the whole thing is start going down south. And then we, we look at somebody else, uh, the veteran affair, the head of veteran affair, another radical, you know, uh, radical, you know, who supported uh, the Muslim people been put by the you know current, uh, you know, uh, Biden, you know. And so therefore, when we look at all this we can see there, there could be a whole lot more damage from the government standard, you know, into uh, the people. But then there's a whole oh, lot yes. more we need to be worried about, you know, uh, what will happen to the Abraham Accord? Will, uh, will the United States of America put a daylight between Israel and America? Over? Will this, uh, this uh, you know, uh, will they move the American embassy uh, out, of, uh, out of Jerusalem? will be united back with Iran and take all of the sanctions and allow Iran to have the nuclear power and, and, and start hitting Israel and the Arab nation allies in the Abraham Accord. Uh, we'll, uh, you know, uh, what will happen in all these, you know, uh, you know, uh, just one after the other? There is so many things we have to be really concerned about. We have to look at the entire shelf and not just part of the shell so but uh that's in my assumption
0: all right so it's interesting to wait and see all that in certain ways now your story what may like you getting hitting rock bottom being converted to christianity let's go to the next part of the story i want to go deeper into your organization how can it help and how controversial is it to the left because as a journalist, I'm just going to say, you know, I'm not going to give you an opinion either way. I'm asking these questions based on certain things, but people will attack you and say you're wrong if they are not of a certain political party in the United States. Well,
2: you know, uh, we saw that uh, the Muslim Brotherhood raised a million votes uh, for uh, for Biden, you know, and supported Biden wholeheartedly, including at hand. Han Omar, including, you know, all those Muslims, you know, g- attorney general in Minnesota, all of them supported, you know, they gave their name to uh, uh, President Trump and all, I mean, President Biden. Uh, and so therefore, when we see all this, we see today the, the new th- theology of the left that, that, you know, Hillary Clinton spoke about, that you are, we are deplorable. So therefore, you know, we hear uh, Katie Kirk saying on TV, that these people need to be uh, arrested. They need to be dealt with. They need to be uh, put in jail. They need to be brainwashed and, you know, to brought, be bred, uh, brought back to redemption. When we look at all this, we look at the lefted, leftists that they don't want anybody like this to come and speak. We see Intifa in the street, uh, you know, coming against anyone that's trying to speak the truth. And, uh, you know, like the brown shirt in Germany, uh, we see, you know, uh, BLM, we see them retaliating against people who are coming to speak the truth. Why? Because the left already removed everybody that is midline. You know, if you are running for an office and you are halfway, you know, like, you know, you are, you are not radical democratic, then you lost your funding from the DMC. So today, when we look at all this, uh, that they are looking for radicalizing. Culture uh, to include, you know, every from on every level, from abortions to LGBTQ to you name it. So, we're in a place today that uh, America is, uh, you know, will have for how uh, its life and everything she stood for, and its Constitution and whatsoever. have you.
0: And so, basically, the organization. How can people be and help be involved and in learn more about it? Tell us. Your organization? Well,
2: uh, our ministry, our organization called KOOM Ministries. KOOM uh, spells it's K O O M E, next word, no spaces, ministries, plural, dot com. And uh, that is, KOOM uh, means arise. And so therefore, it's called Ministries dot com. And uh, they can get us on, on our website. There's a, an area that you connect with us. And uh, we, can come and educate. We teach at universities. Uh, we teach at uh, churches. We teach at you know. We educate the senators. Uh, you know. We you know, even help you know on <clears throat> when the Islamists are trying to lobby the government. To really bring the understanding of the bill or what have you that the Islamists are introducing. <coughs> uh, we uh, we also uh, we also teach the word of God you know i'm I'm an ordained minister and uh my wife and i both of us are ordained and so i teach all over and uh we educate our job is really not uh you know harm uh the muslims our job is to educate the american people how to reach out to the muslims and bring them about the light of truth and bring them about the love and not the hate you know and to, to really share this culture as they invited to live here, to live as good citizens and enjoy America instead of just trying to rob America.
0: So do you feel all Muslims, um, not Islam, but all Muslims are radical?
2: No, not all Muslims are radical. Uh, That's, that's, uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of good Muslims. So many of the Muslims that came to the United States of America, they want to live in harmony. You know, they want to send their children to school. They want to have good jobs, you know. uh, And, uh, you know, and we see the majority of Muslims in America, they are not running in the street saying, you know, you know, kill, kill, kill or jihad, jihad, jihad. But the, you know, when we look at the Muslim Brotherhood and they have, uh, you know, who they are going into the mosques and try to take over the mosque leadership and implement their own imams, and meaning putting their own imams and their own imams can start radicalizing the people in a mosque. That's what we really need to be careful for. And then also we need to worry about Iran and Iran agenda because a lot of the Hezbollah in America and a lot of the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the uh, Khomeini army, which is, uh, uh, you know, they are valid here in the United States of America. These are the ones we really have to be aware of. Uh, because these are the ones t- trained to do dirty bombs or EMPs, electromagnetic pulse or whatsoever. have you. These are the ones we have to worry about, you know, uh, while the, the Muslim Brotherhood chose the, you know, to, to take this nation by radicalizing this nation from within to really bring about the agenda to say we are people like you. We believe like you. We do everything like you. So a lot of people are confused so when I go speak about their you know uh, and you know anywhere who protests me the most the Muslim Brotherhood uh, and uh, who support them the the, the radical leftists? you know we saw that happening to general Jerry Boykin to uh, you know uh, uh, to a lot of people who speak like me yes. uh, try to, to teach and educate uh, they are withstanding and protested
0: right Mike, anything
1: to add? No, I'm just looking forward to having Kamal come to Florida to, to, to spread the word of his ministry and to tell people about radical Islam.
2: Yeah, and I really believe, in my humble opinion, uh, I believe right now the time has come in America to really reach out. To, there, I really believe there's a harvest, in my humble right. opinion. And I believe, you know, because if, if you read the Bible and you understand the Bible... The Bible speaks about that that the Muslims will come right. the Bible speaks about that specifically yeah the Muslims will come uh, and in acceptance of the altar of the Lord and they will celebrate at the altar of the Lord so and this is was prophesied all the way from the days of Isaiah so therefore I believe there's a time right now to educate the churches to educate the public how to reach out the Muslim and in what methodology and and, and the, the principle uh, understanding to understand where the Muslim coming from and, and all the statistics that it's involved, you know, uh, about, uh, not about radical Islam, but the statistic for how the Muslim function, how they think, how they trust, how they disallow, how they allow, we can teach on all these things, you know, and uh, we, you know, so uh, including colleges, uh, we have curriculum for, co- you know, eight course curriculum, you know. And so therefore, uh, it just, you know, we need to understand all the four squares, four corner of the square, because it's not fair to paint them all as terrorists or a radical because a lot of them are not.
0: Last thing, uh, website again for more information on you, Kamal.
2: Our website is coom uh, Ministries, which uh, is K O O M E Ministries, plural. So it will be like this KUM, K O O M E, next word, no spaces, ministries.com. And uh, with that, that's uh, where our website and uh, they, you can get hold of us over there, and we would love. To really work with you, educate, and come speak. Uh, our agenda is is God agenda, and it's not radical agenda.
0: Well, I appreciate Kamal you coming by, Mike, great guest, but also for Mike, Mike Villardi Books for t- for his time is coming, and also winningtaxsolutions.com. So I appreciate you both. Great topic. I mean, just I was I could talk to you for hours learning what's happening especially with the muslim brotherhood but you really educated us but going to your website will gain a lot more knowledge in contacting you right yes is that correct?
2: And, uh, i'll tell you what uh, brother mike was outside in in the midst of everything he understand that subject uh deeper than anyone he was uh, with the fbi he was in the midst of all things he was in the midst of nine eleven. we really need to listen to mike and mike is not just a he, he just uh somebody who have understanding on this uh, subject. Mike is uh, a true American hero who fights for this nation and he loves this nation and he gave his life for this nation many times. I've seen him and he always encouraged me. I'm thankful that you would have us on your, uh, you know, uh, on your uh, program today but there's a whole lot more we can cover in the future if, if that's B. Absolutely.
0: So be- You're a very knowledgeable guest and very interesting. And I, I appreciate you stopping by.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. All right, guys. That was the Mike Velarde Show. Take care. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half and I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop Enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensex Enterprise Level Video Management Software, Perspective VMS, is a browser based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Light in the Morning podcast. I'm excited to welcome to the program, the host, Margo Lemmark. Margot, how are you? And uh, I'm
3: great, Neil. How are you?
0: Hey, I'm doing great. January's been very good. It's been a very busy month, and I can't believe, and that's what's always exciting, but I'm always passionate about every day. But the thing that people listen to us with this positive attitude we both have, there's gonna be times there's bumps in the row. There's gonna be times when we just kind of give up or we feel like we give up we're upset we're angry we're um things are really not going well how do we keep being positive through all those hard times and that's our topic oh
3: yeah boy that that's 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 the major question isn't it because i mean that's the whole point of my book is that we always hit these bumps in the road and we're always going through ups and downs and it's really Mm -hmm. important to be able to deal with it so i one one thing for sure Um, to understand, I think, is that even in the midst of all of whatever we're going through, we still have a choice. We always have choices. And, you know, if you're going through a really, really angry or tough time, you sort of have to let that emotion play out. You you can't just be totally angry and then just flip and be totally positive. It's not that easy. But at some point, the emotion actually simmers down a little bit. And at that point, we have to be aware that we have a choice. Um, Let me give you an example. And I I, I just thought of an example. When I lived in LA a long time ago, I was starting to produce a movie I was trying to. (laughs) And so I did not have any income. Yeah, I didn't have any income. I was just Just going on the money that I had in L.A. is very expensive. And I will never forget the day that I opened up my credit card and my bank account and they matched. (laughs) I was broke. I mean, I didn't have any income and I was kind of living on my credit card at that point. And then my bank statement had the same amount that I owed. And so I was I just realized I am absolutely out of money. And I didn't have money coming in, and I just i I was devastated i i I just freaked out, didn't know what to do, but I was on my way to meet a friend for coffee, and it was an interesting thing that happened on the way to meet her for coffee because I was just in such a horrible mood and and I had this thought. I realized that, okay, I'm going to meet Joanna for coffee. I can either have a great time with Joanna, even though I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> or I can have a horrible yeah. time with her, even though I'm broke. But being broke doesn't change. So I had a choice. And I just decided in that moment, I'm going to have a great time with my friend. And so we had a wonderful time. And I had to come back and deal with it, of course. But it was so interesting to realize that I could just, in that moment, not drag it into everybody else. Um I had a choice and I made a choice and we had a fabulous time. And by doing that, it changed how I felt when I got back. I felt horrible when I left. And when I came back, I had so much more oomph. To deal with it, I I just had a lot of engines going because we we had coffee and we had a great time, right? And I just I was better off, and so by making that choice, I I was uplifted enough to start thinking coherently about that particular problem, you know. And what you're talking about is lots of different. That's one emotion, but there's there's anger, there's grief, there's all kinds of emotions, but we have a choice at some point in the beginning. We don't, we're overcome by it. We're overwhelmed by it. We shouldn't even think about a choice. We should let ourselves go through that process. But then when it starts to simmer down and we start to have kind of other thoughts about things, that's when we have a choice to really do something uplifting to change our thoughts, to really um, become more positive. We, we actually can do that and we should.
0: We definitely should. And then, so that's so point. So let's just say things really are going bad. Always keep positive and, and make that choice to stay positive, even through the really tough times.
3: Yeah. You know how they say, fake it till you make it. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. It's a little bit like that. And that's what I'm saying. You you know, with every emotion you, you have to feel the emotion. You, you can't, you can't just make a mood in life because then you're just absolutely fake. You know, you see these people who come up and they're just always happy and always up and always smiling and always, and you can tell if it's authentic or not. Um, the, the way to be authentic is to really feel the emotion go through it. And then at one point, and I I think everybody knows that I'm talking about that point where it just starts to, you get to breathe again. You, you, You get to, you get to kind of take a deep breath and you're over the worst of it. And it may be in 10 minutes or it may be in four days, you, you know, depending upon the depth of the emotion. But at one point, you you have the choice. And the reason you should go through the middle of that emotion, you should just allow that emotion to ride out. You should keep your heart open and feel that emotion is because on the other side of that, it's like a coin. And that emotion, that strong emotion is one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is joy. So so the depth that you feel that emotion, you're going to feel that depth of joy on the other side, which is why you can't ignore it. But you also, it, it reaches a point where you can have a choice to really start uplifting yourself and thinking positively and doing positive things. and And you need to. Otherwise, you'll you'll just you'll just be in a spiral downwards. So we need to make really good choices for ourselves at that point. So you're so, it's t- a fine so, so
0: so, <laughs> so you talk about being uplifting, something that's uplifting. What about like how do you turn? What if you know we talk about being positive, but what if it's a situation we can get out of? Do you agree in that point? If it's so draining and difficult that you should try to leave that situation if it's happening like that?
3: Yeah. I mean, if, if it's a bad situation, yes. And and that's what I'm saying at some point in any situation, in any emotion, at some point we have a choice. And as long as we're aware of that and anybody listening to me right now will realize that that's true. You have a choice, then make that choice. Then really think and make a good choice for yourself. Um, If it's a bad situation that you're in as soon as you can come up for air and kind of coherently think through it, yes, choose differently, choose wisely and differently.
0: Make that choice. I love it, Margot. You got to make yeah. that choice. If you don't make that choice, you're you're, you're going to end up in bad situations. And, and yeah, you're, the,
3: the, you're, the situation will just keep spiraling. It, it'll it can get really bad.
0: So always kind of keeping that positive attitude. So you're saying, what about a long-term thing where it's a long-term situation you can't get out of and it's just something that's always is going to eat at you and it's difficult like losing a loved one. Let's kind of just go to something like that. How do you keep that positive attitude through that?
3: Well, I think whether it's losing a loved one or whatever that situation is, and I think in general in life, I think we have to do something to release stress in our life. If we don't, stress just builds up and turns into disease. And, you know, I think 90, I think they said that 98% of diseases are caused by stress. And so I think no matter what, we have to do something to release stress. Now, for me, and, and everybody's got a choice too as to what that is. For me, it was TM. I, you know, started practicing transcendental meditation, which is a a fabulous meditation for giving you a very, very deep state of rest. And that deep state of rest, Releases deep-rooted stresses. You know the reason we sleep at night is to get rid of stress of the day. Yes. Um, and in TM, you get a you get a state of rest which is twice as deep as the deepest part of deep sleep, and so that releases really deep stresses. And when you do that, you can't help but feel better. You know when you wake up. You wake up some mornings and you had a fantastic sleep and you feel great. You know that day. Yeah. We all want to feel like that every day. And we can do that by however we decide to release stress. But I think it's one of the major things that we really, really need to do. Some people like me, I meditate. Some people do yoga. Some people run. Um, you know, some people will just take a hike over to a waterfall and sit for an hour and, you know, just let the stress go. Um, you need to do something in your life to improve your life, to improve your physiology and your mind, your mind and body need to be strong. Your emotions need to be strong. And I I just think you have to find your way to do that. Like I did
0: relieving that stress such important thing and that could be for a topic next time just to kind of talk about your meditation other ways of relieving stress and things that you do like i think especially the meditation for sure now so we kind of the finishing up what hope can you give people that are going through a hard time right now what they should do you kind of talked about staying positive but any more uh wisdom you can give?
3: Yeah, I, yes, I I think we're all going through a really hard time right now. And I think we need to be really gentle with each other and compassionate toward each other. And if we're in real trouble, we should reach out to the people who love us. Because Everybody's going through it, and we shouldn't we shouldn't have some ego that I need to be strong or, or no we we are all in a, a pandemic right now we're all in a very tough time we we are all losing loved ones none of us can see each other it's really a strange time and I think more than ever we have to really really be soft with each other really understanding very gentle and and just reach out stay connected. Um, we're all in this together and we all go through different things and we're all constantly going through different things. And I just think it's so important to be in a really kind and understanding and compassionate place in life. It seems like the opposite is happening, happening these days, but what needs to happen is you need to keep your, your close circle close and loving and beautiful. Just keep your immediate life, beautiful.
0: So powerful. Next week, our next episode on uh, Light in the Morning podcast, we're going to kind of go into ways to relax ourselves, you know, and, uh, and how we can really look at those things. And that relaxation could lead to now how we stay healthy. But first relaxation next week to, to, to really decrease our stress. We'll talk about some of the things you've done some of the things you recommend, and I look forward to that conversation. I do too, Neil. Wonderful to talk to you as always. And then, where can we pick up your book so people can uh, read the book? Where can that? Where can they go?
3: Go to Amazon. Light in the morning. Um, light in the morning. Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter.
0: And I think that the m- most important thing is you see, you saw death firsthand, and how people die, and then remember them. But you want each day as we live our last and to live it the very best we can. And there's multiple ways you can teach people to do that. So I appreciate you stopping by again.
3: Absolutely. I love it. I I love the conversation
0: and how, what I get to learn from you and calm me down with the calming voice that you have. So I appreciate it. Wonderful. Thanks. I'm happy about
4: that. Thank Thank you, Neil. Thanks
0: Margo. We'll talk soon. All right. Okay. Bye -bye. bye Bye. All right, guys, that was the light in the morning podcast. Take care.
3: Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download celebrity slots today.
0: We're back to the Neil Haley's show here on the Author's Corner segment. I'm excited to welcome to the program Francis Mays, author of Always Italy. Francis, how are you? Thanks for coming by. Good,
4: thank you. I'm very happy to be with you. We talking about Italy, of course. Exactly.
0: Before we talk about Italy, talk about, you know, specifically enough how you had one of your books into a movie, how that felt, the story, and how exciting as an author finally to, everyone wants that, don't they?
4: I guess so. My, new, my newest novel, Women in Sunlight, has been optioned, so I'm waiting to hear from that. Under the Tuscan Sun came about in a very weird way, not through normal channels, but I happened to meet um, Tom Sternberg in a wine store in Pienza. I was buying wine, and these scruffy Americans were in there, and I started talking to this man. It turned out he was um, directing the talented Mr. Ripley there, and these scruffy Americans were Matt Damon and Gwyneth Paltrow and the whole cast of that. So he started chatting with me, and I said I was from Cortona, and he said, oh, somebody wrote a book about that. Do you know it? And I said, uh, well, yes, I, I wrote the book. So that's how the movie came about. I met somebody in a wine store. How how unbelievable is that?
0: <laughs> it's all about networking at the end of the day. It's meeting the I, right people, right time, so. be ready to go, or that opportunity never would have happened, would it have? Probably not.
4: That's right. I happened to chat with him, so... I guess the moral is chat with people. <laughs> as you yeah, go. get,
0: get network, talk to people, never know when a door is going to open because that door could be the greatest <laughs> thing that happened to you. And, and I'm sure from there it's just kind of you know, skyrocketed with writing books and knowing, hey, this is something I love to do. And uh, for authors out there and writers, I guess definitely authors, what, what, what uh, kind of, uh, you know, because there's so many people who write books, what advice would you give them?
4: For me, it was finding a subject that I felt very uh, connected to and ebullient about, very spontaneous about. I think that helps so much because my books about Italy have practically written themselves that just happened to be in a place where learning about a new culture, learning new language, learning how to cook in a different way, meeting people from all over the world, it was just so exciting, and the very weird thing is that all these years later, it is still exciting, and I guess that's because Italy is such a diverse and amazing country that even if you had, like, 10 lifetimes to live, you could never quite get to the bottom of it. Um, exactly. So uh, this, the finding of a subject matter, I think, is, uh, is crucial uh, that you're passionate about and that you have the um kind of unending curiosity
0: about so you see i love that point you make again of finding your passion about something that is so true francis because if you don't have that passion about writing something why write the book and then when you find a topic or a subject matter you love then people really see it through your writing it sounds like what you say
4: Yes, I think if you're writing and you feel forced, if you feel like you're squeezing the last bit of the toothpaste out of the tube, it's not good. (laughs) It's got to have that, for me, uh, that sense of fluidity, um, not forcing something, but, but just being there to record it as it unravels and to have the pleasure of shaping it and putting your imagination into it. Uh, those are the pleasures of writing. I mean, a lot of writers struggle and think writing is just the hardest thing they can possibly do, and it certainly has those moments. But as Keith said, things should come to you as easily as leaves on a tree, and I've always stood by that, that um, if you've got the subject that you're meant to write about that is really close to you that it seems like it should have kind of a natural naturalness not something you're tearing your hair out over
0: all right so let's kind of jump into to this book because you've written always about italy in so many ways and this one again is always italy so tell us the theme of this one in other ways compared to your other books with italy
4: this book- different because I went to all 24 regions of Italy. That's every single region. It's like going to all the states, which I've never done. But um, (laughs) National Geographic contacted me and asked me if I would be interested in writing a book about all of Italy. And I was very intrigued by that because I knew that it would be such a pleasure to work with them because of their huge connections with photography, and it would be a chance to match fantastic photographs with text. It just seemed like an exciting project. So I invited Andine Kohane to be my co author because it's a huge project, and I knew there would be endless details to check, and we needed all the help we could get. So um, she and I worked together. We traveled in different directions. We didn't travel together because there's just so much to discover. But I went to every single region. And I would traveled in Italy a lot before. But there were still places I had not been. And I feel so lucky now that I have been in so many places I can't wait to get back to because I wasn't really able to spend as long as I wanted to um, I was particularly ignorant of the far south, Basilicata, Moise, Abruzzo, Calabria, those places I had not been, um, I've been to Basilicata a bit, but basically I've never been there and it just opened up a whole new range of ideas and experiences and particularly a lot more interest in outdoor activities in those areas. They have... Uh, extensive national parks, and I just got much more into doing things in Italy that I hadn't done before, like a lot of hiking and uh, exploring things, um, taking you know ski lifts up and hiking down and lots of new beaches for me. It was really fun to get into a different aspect of Italy, rather than the heavy... Um, emphasis i had on food wine literature film culture you know more more of the history um and things you traditionally go to italy for but um, yes definitely we also tried to we tried to um show what it's like living in italy now new design boutiques new hotels new trends in cooking literature all these things we wanted a current cultural context to go along with um what we all love about Italy to begin with,
0: all right, so let's you know so that that's awesome, and I think it's perfect timing for this book to come out for people that would love to travel to Italy but just can't because of the pandemic. Don't you agree?
4: Yes, so much dreaming going on right now, but I think maybe by the end of the year we might be able to or maybe by the end of summer. I'm you hoping you got to gotta be
0: positive about this but right I I just don't, I just don't know. People in Europe don't think as as uh, I guess uh, as positively as we are thinking right now in the United States.
4: Yeah. Well, the United States is about the worst, but um maybe by then with the vaccine going, we'll be able to go. We'll see.
0: Yeah, it's the worst, but we're not as shut down as other of Europe. So there's the difference, right? <laughs> That's right.
4: We've never taken the shutdown as seriously as we might have. We would be in better shape if we had. But it's been hard in Italy, mainly, too, because they're such outgoing people. They love to hug. They love to kiss on both cheeks. And different generations live in the same house. So the lockdowns have really been hard. Oh, it's, but, it's been, um, yeah. let's hope we're facing new day.
0: Let's hope so. So people need to up, pick up your book right now, Francis. Where can they get it? And so people, it's available oh, in all good. bookstores and all that stuff. Tell us where they can find it.
4: It is. It's available in any bookstore. If they don't have it, they can get it very easily. So um, I'm all for supporting the local bookstores because a lot of them are suffering right now. But um, you can get it anywhere.
0: Well, I appreciate you stopping by and give us your your favorite town in Italy. Do you have a favorite town in Italy or you can't do that? You can't tell me what your favorite town in Italy is. <laughs> that's,
4: a, that's a tough one, but I guess the town I selected 30 years ago when I bought my house is still my favorite Cortona in Tuscany.
0: Fabulous. We'll have to, through your pictures, dream of someday to be in Italy and to make a trip to Italy. And through your book... People can dream and they can uh, enjoy all the so. things that you experienced in Italy in your trips and especially in your latest book. So I appreciate you stopping by.
4: Thank you so much. I enjoyed it.
0: I Ciao. Did. All right. Take care. See you. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. You listening bye-bye. to Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment.